Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Vanessa. Joel, you want to bring uh, other panelists in? Um, definitely. Thank you uh, again, Vanessa. Um, I'm ex personally um, very excited to have you here um, as a small business owner. Um, so definitely looking to hear for your insight and what you got to talk, talk to us about too. Um, the next person here um, is an esteemed member of the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, we're definitely happy to have him here. Uh, a, a revolutionary, another writer in the room as well too. Um, with the uh, with the super powerful book, The Black Tax, um, we're here with uh, Sean Rochester. It is a pleasure to be on uh, with everyone uh, this fine evening going into night. I'm looking forward to uh, the discussion and the conversation uh, and also being in the presence of Vanessa. So I'm, I'm very excited. So am I. I told people I was going to be on the panel with you and they did not care about me. They just wanted to know when was Sean Rochester going to be on, including my husband. So I'm honored as well. That's what we were aiming for, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> you two rival one another um, quite well. And um, considering the time and, and uh, that we have, uh, I, I think, some awesome topics. Joel's getting ready to queue, uh, queue up. But just before we do that, um, Joel, if we can just have an opening prayer, we're going to have Brother Jason Carter. Uh, if you see him on the line, he's going to open us up in prayer. We're going to do this the right way, um, and we're going to close the right way. Um, if you don't see Jason, Namon, um, uh, Brother Namon Jones can actually um, um, provide the prayer, if you will. Okay, Jason. Okay. Thank you, Jason. And everybody, it's obvious that my screen is not popping on in, but I am here. Thank you, brothers. Thank you to all the esteemed panelists here today. It is my honor and privilege to come before you as a man of Omega Sci-Fi fraternity, of course, to lead us in prayer. Um, so those of you in attendance, could you bow your spirits as I enter us into the presence of the Lord? Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege, the honor, and of course, your supreme grace for giving us this time and this opportunity to come before you, Father God, to hear a word in season. Father God, I know it is your um, plan and purpose in our lives, Father God, to always have wisdom over our finances, to make good decisions with our time and our money. And Father God, you've given us the privilege today to listen to some really powerful people that will then share and pour wisdom into the lives of those who are listening, have a listening ear. Father God, bless these people, bless the presenters, of course, bless our moderators as well, Brother Joel and Brother Chavis as well, and give them the speech and the conversation that is needed to move forward and to make things possible. Father God, it is truly a great thing as you supply each and every one of our needs and allow this financial wisdom literacy conference here today, Father God, be fruitful to our ears, our minds, and to our hearts. This is our prayer, and I pray all of this in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you.
and and um, we're going to jump in. But Joel and I, when we were talking about this, uh, the reason why we, we, you know, he came up with this wonderful tag in the overspend, and we were talking about, about this topic about what happens every year, like clockwork, around this time, and we're we're talking not just Thanksgiving, um, but we're talking about what what used to be just after Thanksgiving, but is now um, it starts in October, sometimes around um, Halloween. And we get caught in a frenzy and um, if we're not careful. So Joelle, if you would, wouldn't mind um, kicking off and, and, and bring our panelists into this discussion um, and then we'll just tag team. Yeah, um, definitely. We want to definitely let, let, let orientate the room to you guys and your opinions and let them know a, a little bit of where you guys are all coming from. So you want to just kind of get an idea of what is your perspective on, on the holidays and uh, what is what was that like for you kind of growing up um, so we can understand where you're at now and um, where your advice is coming from. So Ms. Ms. Lindley, Vanessa, if you'd be so kind to start us off with, just give us a little bit of background about your holiday experiences and what the holidays mean to you, because I know that's a, a diverse question. Wow, all right, throw me in there. So I didn't write about this in my book yet, but it is um, a question that has not been asked of me, but I teach it sometimes. So when I was a young child till about 12 years old, um, we were considered the rich cousins, even though I learned later we were not. But my mother did, holidays were a big deal. Birthdays, Christmas, I, I believe in Santa Claus, so I don't know what I was, what age. I went to sleep, woke up, and our living room was filled with you know, toys. And then we got evicted from our apartment at 12. So there was always this, and I think that put me on the trajectory to where I am today. So I fought so hard against ever, that ever happening to me or my family and communities. But the holidays, I mean, it was magical. Um, now that I have children, three, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're not doing that. Um, and so uh, what I've done with them personally is, uh, keep it about Christmas in particular, because I am a Christian, we, I try to keep it about the birth of Jesus. And so I told him the story that when Jesus was born, there were three gifts that were brought. So we keep the limit to three gifts from us, from Santa and us, and then um, other people can add other gifts. So I, because of my experience, I try to limit it with my children. When I teach financial literacy and education, I tell people that you know, this is a value that people have holidays. Um, it could be a religion, it could be a, co a community-based value um, based on what, you know, their, their collective community. And so values um, are not morals. And so they're not right or wrong. What we wanna help people do is to make a choice on, you know, what they're doing and understand why. And if there's a, because the pull for communal values is so strong that, you know, me trying to tell you don't do it, you know, would be offensive. What I wanna do is help people to, to really sit down and think about what is so important about that holiday and plan for it. If that is really your thing, you just need to start planning from January 1 all the way till December 25th. Don't wait until now, a month out, and then you know go in debt, et cetera. So um, it is a lot of pressure uh, for people because the, the, it's the communal that makes people feel you know this pressure to overspend. So we can't ignore that and how that plays out into decision-making. And so again, I try to help people understand, do an assessment as a financial coach, I would say, you know, think about what's important about this holiday, what it brings for you, and does it really bring you joy to act out in this way or stress? And, and then you have to be strong enough to change that. And so it is a, it's a process for a lot of people though, but that's my context. 
Nice. So for me, um, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, money growing up. So there wasn't, um, you know, the, the presence of the holidays was certainly like a big thing, but there weren't a lot of gifts um, and stuff like that because there, there wasn't enough resources uh, when, I was, when I was much younger. Um, you know, in terms of, of Christmas and stuff like that, because I grew up in Barbados uh, and, and then I lived in New York City. You know, the whole Santa thing was, was Santa wasn't in Barbados and it was not a whole lot of chimneys, right? In, in, in Queens, in a building. Um, so what, what, but we were really excited about, you know, the little things that we got when, when we had those opportunities, you know, uh, whatever it was. Um, what, what I like about the, the question is, is that we're tracking down to <clears throat> what was our relationship with money right? Because we, we have to look at what that is now. And that often comes from our experience when we were growing up, right? Um, and, and, and the values that kind of come from our parents and our, our caretakers and our mentors um, in terms of what their relationship with, with money is, and then how we use it to perhaps compensate for things that we experienced when we were when we were younger, you know, one of the things that that I kind of talk about is before you make any really big budget changes, we really do need to examine, right, like our, our relationship with money historically, and how is that, you know, playing out right now. Um, now, in terms of like the, the Christmas season, I, I absolutely uh, agree with Vanessa, I think one of the best pieces of advice is this twofold. The first thing is you clearly have to have a budget. Right, it's, it's not like, do I wanna give gifts or not? That's a personal decision that, that you can make, but you should have a budget that makes sense in terms of what you're going to do, right? And you kind of set that number based on what you can afford and your family dynamics and that kind of thing. The other thing is don't wait till this time to do anything, right? Um, great advice that I got a long time ago uh, were smart folks who knew that they were gonna buy gifts for folks, but they bought the gifts throughout the year. So when they saw a phenomenal deal, whenever it was, they were like, oh, this would be great for Jerome. This would be great for Sarah. This would be great for my aunt. This would be great for the niece and nephews. But they got it in back in April, right? And then they just put it aside or they got it in February. And that's a phenomenal way to save a ton of money and to reduce a lot of stress, right? And, you know, as we're, we're trying to deal with the other things, you know, associated with, with the holiday. I just want to add, do you all remember the Christmas clubs that employers had at one point that went out, that went away. Those are great too. We got to bring those back. We just talked about that like two nights ago. <laughs> the Christmas club, yeah. It helped you save, you know, in advance. So, you know, you said something, um, both of you alluded to, but uh, Sean said directly, um, use the word afford. And, and so that's a tricky, um, it's a tricky word. Um, today in a, the land of capitalism. And so um, one of the questions we, we chatted about was, how do you know what you can afford? Because if, um, so houses, for example, or, or cars or whatever have, um, the, the manufacturers have figured out ways for us to afford them. So the other day I was watching TV and, and I saw, that I remember back in the day, it was um, dating myself, but back in the day, it was like four years, then five years. Um, then it went to 72 months to finance a car. 
and now it's <clears throat> seven years, 84 months. They give you a longer warranty. You feel like it, it, it sort of makes sense. They give you a number that works in your, in your budget. And so how do you know what you can afford? And I'd love your perspective on that. So um, what I do is, is go back to principles and frameworks first, right? So it's a framework is just the process or the tool by, by which you value the impact or the efficacy of whatever it is that you're trying to do. So the, the framework that, that I focus on and I share with people is called SOUL, right? Which is stewardship, ownership, and legacy. With stewardship being how you manage your limited resources, right? Because our resources are very limited to, uh, to their highest and best use to maximize cash flow. Gotta have positive cash flow, otherwise we can kind of stop the conversation there. And then how do you manage your resources so that you can maximize ownership of the assets that you have? such that other people don't have claims on them, which is reducing debt over time and then trying to stay out of it, which is very difficult in a debt-driven consumption society. And then the third part is a real focus on legacy, which is broken into three parts, uh, you know, from, from our perspective. And one is just, just having reset, uh, resources at retirement so you can retire in dignity. Two is, is trying to do uh, according to Proverbs so you can leave an inheritance for your children's children. That's an extremely paradigm shifting view of things. Like you will very quickly be able to see you have a lot less than, than you might think. Uh, and then the other piece of it is um, just being able to have some resources set aside. So if during your normal walk, you see something that speaks to you and, and you wanna do something about it, you could do more than hope and pray. You can actually have some resources to kind of sow and seed into it. And when you start to have that, that framework, it, it shifts and shapes what you can actually do and what you can actually afford and how those things are either consistent or inconsistent with this kind of soul you know, uh, framework. So to figure out your cash flow, again, you gotta go through the budgeting process, right? Like one of the things that Vanessa talked about is you gotta have a budget and it is not sexy, right? And people like to run in the opposite direction when it, when it comes to that. But you, most people do not know what their monthly available cash flow is, right? So you, you have to be able to go through that exercise. And there's a whole process that, that I go through. It's actually quite labor intensive to figure out you know, what, what, what that is. And then you start thinking about how can I actually augment that? And how do I now allocate that to maximizing ownership? Which is, which is reducing debt like over time? And how do I allocate this to these elements of legacy that are now important, right? So maximizing tax deferred assets, I mean, retirement plans, you know, making sure that we're investing accordingly, we're putting resources away. There's a bucket that I put away just to do good if you feel called to do it. You don't have to do anything, right? But if you feel called to do it, the resources are, are, are there. When you start to have that kind of framework, part of your budget is, and so budgets are, are made up of, of two types of expenses, right? I call one known expense. And this is why people don't like budgets because it feels like it's a hustle, right? Like you borrow my watch to tell me what time it is. I know what my mortgage is, you know what your car note is, you know what the cell phone, all these kind of things, you know what they are, right? The most important part of your budget is something I call phantom expenses. All of your focus has to be on these areas. It can represent 20 to 25% of your total spend. And it's anything that you are committed to that you're gonna do, but you don't track. By the way, one of those things 
can be spending money on the holidays for our families. You might be the most awesome aunt or uncle in the whole family, right? And you know that regardless of what their mom or dad says, you're getting those kids the things that, that they want and love and all that because that's kind of who you are. I get it. What I'm saying is figure out what that costs and make sure that that's in your budget. And make sure when you're looking at all of your budget, you actually have positive cash flow left over. Because if you don't, then we need to readjust some things, right? So that, that starts to get us down the path of figuring out what's actually affordable and, and available you know, for us. Well, I, um, I, I go back to um, choices and values. Um, and again, values are not morals. So people value certain things. So this, this uh, affordability thing, um, in some instances, overspending helps people affirm their identity. So use an example of aunts and uncles. They get affirmation from being the, the best aunt, bringing the best gifts. Parents do it, you know, partners do it. And so as a coach, I get into the psychology of how do we now undo some of those needs to feel affirmed by things um, either that I buy for myself or that I give to other people, um, but the numbers don't lie. So I always go back to the budget. So you can afford what your budget says you can afford, but you have to do the math. Yep. Um, and I do an activity and I did it for my husband. It's so funny. We, 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 I had these posters up in our living room and I had three big, you know, sticky notepads on the dining in the living dining room for like months. And so, cause I wanted to practice with him. And so I, I, the first flip chart is the end. So how do you want your life to end you as a family or you as a single person, wherever you are in life, you know, wh when this is all over financially, economically, what do you want to be like living in retirement? How do you want to live in retirement? You know, if you have children, you know, what do you want to have done for your children? You know, when this is all said and done and though, and list those things out. And then you have to put some numbers to them. Then I come um, to the, 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 the least fun one is the, the net worth statement. So what do you own and what do you owe? So that tells you where you are right now, as far as net worth. So these are all our assets. These are all our debts. Are you in positive or negative? And so that also gives you a picture of where you are, you know, on a macro level economically. And then I'll bring it down to the very nitty gritty of needs and wants. And so I make a, I made a flip chart and I do it in, in sessions and I draw a line right down the middle and you identify these needs and wants that you have in your life. And that gets sticky with couples in particular um, because there are certain things that are important to me, but they may really just be a want like private school, for example. Can you afford private school? People make a lot of adjustments for that, but that really is a want. It's something you value, but it's not necessary. You may not need it. And those are some of the sticky areas. So identifying that, because that helps you make those day-to-day -day choices. Because if we start to see these things that are important in our lives on a larger level, we can start to think about what we're doing day-to-day. -day. So one thing I had on there, which is hilarious, was hair weaves. So anybody who knows me, I like the hair. I got the COVID hair right now, but... You know, but a weave is one and it can be expensive, but I had to put it on that flip chart to put it in context. 
because when I feel like going out to spend it, I have to make a choice. Like I, we have our children in private school, so I may not get the luxurious weave all the time. And that is a choice that I have to make day to day, but putting it on these big charts and seeing, okay, this is what I want to have. My, I want my children to you know, graduate college with no debt. So that means today when I'm choosing, you know, what hairstyle that's going to impact that. If I'm looking at my net worth and I'm in the red, meaning I'm, you know, in debt, that means everyday choices that I'm making is affecting that. So I let people, you know, look at the bigger, big, bigger picture of their lives and what they want. And then we bring it down to those day-to-day -day choices and being aware of them because they will take you off course. And I tell people, if you ever are not sure of this spending thing, just look at your, your debit card statement or just look, go online to your credit card statement for a week or a month and you'll see where your values are and you'll start to identify you know, where you're doing this overspending. But the budget is gonna be your best friend and you need to look at some of these other you know, lifelong goals, net worth, and then really looking at these things that are needs versus wants and do that, that really hard, what category is this? And, and start to make your decisions based on that. That's great. So, so there, there's an angle I'd like you to address uh, as it relates to, um, you know, within this, the whole affordability, because once you kind of get that uh, together, and, and Joel's going to queue up, um, but once you kind of get that together, you, ha you, you have sort of a command. And I think, Sean, um, both of you talk about it a little bit in your, in your books, um, but you, you have more control, if you will. And that's what we're kind of after. We're after, we're after being able to control our destiny with our finances and then be able to make decisions that are likable decisions for our financial futures and our communities. And so um, I, I want to talk about like, you know, the redirection, like how, you know, once you figure out we, we can, what you can afford, does it mean that it has to go to someone um, uh, who is from France, <laughs> who uh, you've never met, um, but their product is extremely expensive, um, even if you can afford it. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, it's something that might put, set you back a little bit and you could, you have some choices. So where do you, you know, what are your recommendations on spending? You know, what do you, how do you feel about spending in our community um, as opposed to some um, spending outside the community on things that, you know, um, might not necessarily, it's, not, it's nice to have nice things, um, but it's also a thing that we want to support our own and we want to redirect and have control over what happens in our community. Feelings on that, please. Yeah, so um, it, as, as you guys know from like, you know, the work that I've done on, on the black tax, I advocate for an economic framework that's called PhD, right? Which is purchase high and deposit in ways that create jobs, create and expand business and provide capital in the black community. Uh, the reason that, you know, there's many reasons why that's super important, but we also have to remember that only about 2% of our spend as a group, which is north of $1.2 trillion, actually goes to Black enterprise, right? So we're actually really good at not spending any money with us. So we have to be proactive about that. And the idea is when possible, where possible, utilize high quality, you know, Black products and services, right? And, and with Black manufacturers and, and, and service providers and, and do it at all levels. And, and this clearly, uh, to the extent that you can apply it to the holidays, you know, we should do that, but we should do it kind of, you know, all year round, right? And particularly 
not just on things like shirts and gifts and stuff like that, but you know, when it comes to financial advice and wealth management and financing for homes and you know the cars that we purchase and, and you know with black dealers and the realtors that we use and as well as um, you know the the contractors that we use with our homes and our upgrades and and all those kind of things, the insurance uh, folks that we use for our home and, and businesses and the like. Uh, there are terrific black service providers across all of those areas, which are hyper underutilized, right? So we should absolutely be doing that. You know, I, I wrote like uh, two books at the same time. One was the black tax, the cost of being black in America. And the other one was was called CPR for the soul. Uh, how to how to give yourself a 20% raise, eliminate your debt and leave an inheritance for your children's children. Um, they're, they're written in different voices, but they're very complementary. So the black tax is all about how do we create, you know, obviously more businesses, but the point of more businesses is to have more jobs, right? Because families are built on your ability to earn income. So that's all about how to transform and create significant levels of earned income, right? Um, but what we're talking about now and, and what CPR for the soul is about is how do you take earned income and convert that into retained income, right? And you do that to the very disciplined steps that, that we're talking about. Um, and, and that Vanessa, you know, mentioned, right? And, and as you do that, you uh, increase your cash flow, you increase the, the ownership, the claims that you have on your own assets, and you also increase your assets uh, at retirement, that your projected assets are, are retirement. Once you see those things and you start thinking about how your spending habits affect those, then you can tend to self-correct, right? You know, when, when you start to, to do things like that. And now that you're in this better, stronger position, the, the idea is direct those resources or as many as you can that are available to Black enterprise, right? Whether it's through product or services, you know, purchases and, and acquisitions. It's, it's super critical, right? Uh, and and it, it, the, the multiplier effect is so important, right? Um, because 99.9% .9 of us um, you know, who are working are going to work for non-Black people. So you're subject to how they feel about just about everything uh, that, that you do. But the more resources you can direct to your own enterprises, the more of those can get to the scale where they can employ more of us, right? We're missing about 6 million jobs across the broader Black community. There's a bunch of people who should be working for Black enterprise right now, right? We would operate in a totally different way, um, you know, if we, if, we, if we had that. So yeah, I'm a huge proponent of, of spending uh, with Black Enterprise when and where possible. So yeah, this summer after the uh, the racial, I say, un unrest erupted at the death of George Floyd, I couldn't go out in March. And so God put it on me to do this summit and virtually. So I did this economic resurrection summit. I started this Facebook group. I, I promise you in a month or more, I had over 2000 members join to that exact point. It was a form for me of resistance and revolution, although I've been doing this work around the country in different communities, not just black communities of promoting, um, you know, self-reliance in a communal way. Cause I'm not, in my, in my work, I, we still need each other as a black community, but I wanted my space, the economic resurrection was for black people in particular, because I had to give it to them at that moment. Um, as we see the wealth gap and the pay gap so broadened across sectors, um, we have to be informed and take action. And so in this summit, I talked about their per your personal economy, generational wealth and leaving a legacy, um, 
policy, politics, and Black economics because sometimes we don't see the connection to what we do, whether we're working for an employer or for ourselves and the policies that affect that. Um, and then Black Lives Matter and corporate and nonprofit America, the future of Black business, um, owning property is Black power and Black businesses matter. Everyone is not going to be a boss and that's just because of our human nature. But we need more Black businesses because to what Sean said, we're gonna employ more people that look like us. We're gonna bring jobs and we're not gonna have that racial discrimination to the same extent that some other employers may. And Black people who go to school and get an education and start jobs, they're underpaid and they work hard, many of them. Um, and so starting your own business it, for some people will be a source of freedom and you'll be able to build more wealth than others. But nonetheless, um, we can support each other communally by buying black. And that was my thing. How can we buy black? Now we know the world that we're giving and I think we're 13 or 14% of the population. So, you know, we, we have to start with us but then we're gonna need uh, allies and other people in the world to uplift us. But my intention was to focus, shift the focus around you know, like you said, not just buying the t-shirts because it was a lot of people who started t-shirts business and, and no offense, but there are so many other businesses that we need to start and build and support that is critical. But I also in my space wanted to take out the white supremacist lens because a lot of times people think doing business with a black business is less than equal than doing business with a white business. It could be the same type of business and because black businesses aren't always infused with the same capital um, as other businesses, sometimes it's harder for them to grow. Many times it's harder for them to grow. I'm gonna put that clearly out there. But I also wanted to keep to break down our, as black people, our own mindset around doing business with other black businesses. So those small business owners, they do the same work that the big Fortune 500 companies do. They hire, some of them, they, they, they find offices, they fire, they do inventory, they do accounting, they do budgeting. I mean, they do all these things, but people look at them differently or they wanna get a discount. And so to your point, Brother James, people will go pay a company in France thousands of dollars for a handbag and I've done it, <laughs> I must say. But then if you see a, a black owned handbag, that's a few hundred dollars. Oh my God, why is it so expensive? And so we have to shift our mindset around that um, to know that you know, we are also operating under this white supremacy that does discounts doing business with each other. And we have to shift that mindset. And like uh, Brother Sean said, not just in goods and service, not just in goods and, and material things, but in the services, the accountants, you know, so people became in my group more intentional. And there's a few other groups on there where people just say, do you have a black photographer? Do you have a black accountant? Do you have a black lawyer? I mean, like, I need a, a, a civil lawyer. I need a black civil lawyer. So there are some groups that are growing that you can look for those type of businesses specifically, but it is critical for our economy. And like brother Sean said, the amount of money we're over, uh, I think $1.2 trillion of spending and we don't circulate the money back. And so we lose. And I mean, one visual that I thought, I mean, you never see a black restaurant in a Chinese area. Right? Chinatown, you don't see any soul food restaurants unless it's theirs. <laughs> so we got to shift that. So 100% in agreement. And then uh, an, another thing, just to compound all of this is, is you know, I think it's almost 70% of all businesses, like the, the source of funds, the first primary source of funds 
comes from the individual, right? It comes from savings, right? It comes from, uh, you know, borrowing against, you know, you know, 401ks and savings, liquid savings that you have and, you know, borrowing against the, the home and things of that, that nature. The next uh, tranche will come from the extended friends and families type network, right? And, and then it'll kind of go out, you know, from there. But when you look at like disposable income, you know, white families have 100%, 100 times more disposable income, right? The average disposable income for the black family on average is $200, right? You know, those of us who might carry cash might have more than that in their pocket right now. So where you get the critical mass to, to start, to start uh, you know, the business, because we're not short on brilliance and we're certainly not short on, on ideas and on enterprising behavior, but the access to the capital is, is a real thing. And, and also the demand for the products and services actually needs to complement the availability of them, right? Um, and that's something that's just really, really, really critical. So you get a dual benefit. As, as you think deeply about, you know, how do I budget my, my money and my resources to get positive cash flow, increase assets, increase net worth, have projected assets at retirement, you're also building up a nest egg that you can use to, to start a business or that you can use to help someone else um, in your network in aggregate to be able to actually launch it and start that business. But um, so it's, it's a dual thing. It's like you, you have to prepare for this journey, you know, um, you got to get your money right, right, to be able to prepare for this journey, right? Zen Su says you you, you don't put a hundred thousand troops right on on uh, the battlefield unless you got like a thousand pieces of gold for every day that you want to put them there. You got to get your money right for for this for this journey. And I just want to add to your point about the capital. So when all of these companies were saying yes, Black Lives Matter, a lot of money was put into um, Black-owned banks or and uh, banks that were majority owned. <clears throat> We're committing money to black businesses and we have to take advantage of that while it's happening because we don't know how long black lives are going to matter in this country but right now there was a movement it kind of lulled the, the words kind of lulled but the money is there so i want also people i wanted to also share with people where to get the money and to use leverage to sean's point because we bootstrap our businesses when a lot of companies white other and other companies do not Again, they, some of them do, but many of them may have generational money, but they can easily go into a bank because of white supremacy and racism. They will be uh, offered a loan uh, quicker than we might. So again, I would like to provide resources for people to know how to do their business plans, to, you know, to legitimize the business. Because like Sean said, especially if you grew up with lower means, I mean, I did a session Tuesday about that oh, you are resourceful, right? We know how to get things done. And so Black-owned businesses, they know how to run. Just give them the money so they can grow and then we can train them on the rest and, and really build a, a stronger community. Well, since you're, since you're there, Gerald, did you have a question? Okay. I, I, um, Vanessa, we know your, your business, Sean, I don't know about yours, but your business is at MWBE. And, and um, that has been a source. One of um, our good colleagues from 100 Black Men, uh, Sean, Bill Howell was on, and he's been a big proponent of getting a lot of Black businesses situated for um, that certification. So could you talk about that a little bit? And just because what we're talking about is once you, it seems like a dream, but you can save the capital, you can position yourself, you can take on investors, you can 
um, obtain what you need in order to get into business, but um, you need access sometimes to a special stream that's made um, for us situationally. And I'd like both of you just to speak, speak to that uh, briefly if you can. Well, the MWBE um, is the, I'm oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. MWBE is the um, Minority Women Business Enterprise and there's MBE for Minority Business Enterprise um, certification and they have uh, city, state and federal certifications. And when I first learned about it, you know, they were like, oh, these are for people who are socially advantaged. And I didn't, I was like, socially advantaged, what does that mean? I got friends. But really what they were saying is that the old boy network, which was really mostly white men, they would give the contracts to each other. So they ran government and they gave out the government contracts to their people. And so a lot of uh, other people were excluded, obviously minorities, women, et cetera. So the certification gives you access to government contracts. Uh, it doesn't guarantee a government contract, but it gives you access to bid on the contracts. And so, um, it's still not easy. So I, you know, I've had contracts with the state, city. Um, it is work to continue to be done. But what made it easy to get the certification was making sure that your business is set up as a legitimate business, meaning having you know a business bank account, having business credit card or line of credit, you know, having your tax ID situated, you know, having a plan, having a website, certain. So you are seen as a legitimate business, and obviously having some clients. Um, as well, when you go get to certification, just having everything, you know, together. Um, but I, but I also went through the Goldman Sachs Ten Thousand Small Business Program, and they have an advocacy arm that I participate in called Ten Thousand Voices, I think. And um, we advocate for small businesses um, in the government. And so we we've been in person when the you know when we were open before COVID. We've done a few virtual ones, and one of the best ones that I appreciated that I went and in Congress to um, to support other small business owners were exactly for these certifications like the MWBE and there's a bunch DBE. There's tons. The paperwork that it requires and all the red tape to get these certifications and to also bid on the contracts, a lot of times deters these small businesses from actually doing it. So we've been advocating the government to reduce some of that. So if I apply for one certification, just let me apply for all of them. Like, you know, a New York City and state does that. But also when it comes time to bid, can we make it streamlined? Because if I bid with, you know, Brooklyn, you know, whatever, one division, I have to go put in a whole other bid for another one. And most small businesses don't have the capacity to continue to do that. So everybody doesn't have an equal opportunity, but I do want to give you one great, wonderful story. So one of my sisters in the Goldman Sachs program, she um, owned a cleaning business and business got really hard for her right before COVID. She literally was about to get a job. So all the people who want to start businesses know there are a lot of ups and downs to it. She had applied for a job, was offered the job, and for some reason she didn't take it immediately, like on a Monday. And Wednesday, um, the city called her, excuse me, the state called her because they needed COVID cleanup. And she's the only MWBE that had this type of cleaning business that they need. And now her business is millions. I don't even know the number. I mean, but she ended up doing... Um, I think Penn Station, Metro North, like, and she had, to, you talk about hiring people, she had to do a mass hiring. I mean, she said the money came in so fast, she had to start praying off it. And I had to keep encouraging her because that's the other thing that sometimes we, 
we've been we've been so harmed in the country that we also limit ourselves and I said you better keep going because she grew up poor she was like this is so much money I said you have to keep going because the people you're hiring and you're paying them a fair wage everyone will have that opportunity so the, the MWBE certification put her in position to get these contracts and now she's a leader um, in, in COVID cleaning and she's doing a great job around the state of New York So we're, we're, yeah, we're, so we're sorry, Sean, yeah, no, we're, we're I'm MWBE certified and, and the like, and it is an extremely challenging process. I'm a, a super brass tax kind of person, right? So one of the things I'm very focused on is being specific, right? It's, it's minority women owned businesses, which doesn't mean black business, right? What, what I see not only in New York, but <clears throat> around the country is uh, you know sometimes aggressive diversity goals that have marginal to no impact whatsoever on black enterprise. And my primary focus is on black enterprise, right? So the, the, the biggest, most robust, you know, black business marketplace is in New York State. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, New York State and city sets, you know, very aggressive minority goals, but they don't report it individually. And when you get underneath all of that, you'll see that Black Enterprise is hovering around 1% of, of the procurement that they're doing, right? And that to me makes no sense whatsoever. It's not acceptable in any, any way, shape or form, right? I don't think we should be excited about how well everybody else is doing over a multi-decade period when those people don't do business with Black Enterprise themselves, right? We need very well-defined plans in terms of what are they going to do to dramatically increase the positioning and the amount of contracts that are going with Black Enterprise, you know, specifically. Um, and, and that's something that's frequently not discussed, right? Uh, we, we start off talking about Black and then it, it, it converts very quickly to minority, diverse, and inclusive which is generally a euphemism for not white male, right? So they measure how the not white male category is doing, but they're not putting emphasis on, on how uh, black enterprise is doing within that. And I, and I like to bring all those conversations down to, so how is this getting to black business, right? There's a lot of money that, that, that is being kind of moved around right now, stemming from you know, the, the George Floyd incident of public execution, right? Uh, pretty much in slow motion of a black man and, and all of the other, uh, you know, black people, men and women who were executed by the police who are now being shown all around the world. People are taking actions, right? Because this is inconsistent with what they understood America to be. A lot of those actions are resources going towards minority business and other types of communities. And my question is always, how is that getting to black enterprise, right? Because I've been on the phone where, where we're talking about $100 million being distributed. But when I ask the question, it's followed by an awkward silence, right? So that's, that's the other thing that, that, that doesn't work uh, you know, for, for me. I think we need to be specific in our language uh, because policy follows language and resources follow policy. Right. So if you're talking about black enterprise, you should talk about black enterprise. If you mean minority, diverse and inclusive, then you should say that and understand that that the policy, how resources are allocated are going to go in that direction. And just to put a, a fine point on it and to be very concrete, uh, when it comes to corporate supply chain, spend less than two percent of that across the, the country goes to black enterprise. Same thing at government, federal, local, state levels. Right. Uh, and if you look at this category of businesses that have employees, 
that are women and Latino and Asian and only 4% of all of that goes to black enterprise. So language is very, very important. If not, you will see massive dilution, right? Um, and that's something I see too much about and, and I need everyone laser focused done to, to, to drive resources to, to black enterprise in particular. I agree. How, 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 does, how does one go about finding um, black businesses that are out there? Is there, is there a registry or is there um, a, a collective that, that actually uh, tries to like the black pages or something like that? You know, um, I'm joking, but I'm serious. <laughs> but is, is there a collective that pulls that information together so that it's easier for us? Um, Joel owns a business and, you know, it would be in that. You guys would be in that. So speak if you can about that. So from, from what I understand, there is no one-stop, all-inclusive where you can go to and get uh, insight in a friction, frictionless way to Black enterprise of, of all kinds and sizes. I think there are different people around the country who have done work to pull together lists of Black businesses that they are aware of. And you can get it from either talking to cities and municipalities that might be doing business with minority business and they can give the list of the ones with, with black businesses that are, that are registered there, their chamber of commerce, uh, their large churches, like really, really large churches that will aggregate the businesses within um, you know, their, their communities and there are other lists out there. But we do need a large consolidated one, right? Because you, you have to be able to disaggregate between consumer spend and business supply chain spend, right? Which is massively different businesses in size, scope, um, you know, and, and, and scale. So there, there, so that's my, my, my take on that. I agree as well. I wish there were, and I know there are tons of um, people or entities that have attempted to collect it. I put a few in the chat that you all can share with your uh, participants later. Uh, but, you know, my black receipt was something that also started this summer where they were, uh, the, the woman was attempting to, I think Professor Cash, she calls herself, she was attempting to collect the amount of money we actually spend within the black community, but she also started a black business list. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are Facebook groups that, um, yep. uh, the Black Dollars International, but to your point, uh, Sean, they do a lot of, um, you know, consumer spending and consumer type goods um, not always professional services, but um, it is a good way to support Black businesses in that group. And then giveblack.orgs is another um, startup where they are collecting Black nonprofits. But we do, somebody, I've been wanting, somebody has to really come together to, to make a consolidated list. But there are out there in addition to the other places that Sean mentioned. Definitely. My, oh, please go ahead, Joe. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I think this. I think is a good point. I want to jump in right now. Um, I think where we're at, as far as what the two of you have been speaking about, um, is about making a paradigm shift right now, um, from spending and using our money for one thing and turning it into actual resource, making it a resource, right? Um, and some of the questions we see here in the chat right now refer to actually uh, making like having LLC. Like right now, you talk about M MWBE, DBE. Like, like Brother Chavis said, I, I have a small business right now and I'm in the process of getting that right now. My MWB has been pending for five months now, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but, you know, um, those are things, you know, that, that they want to have in place. And we know that when those things get going, so hearing your story, that's that's exactly why we're, we're applying for that. 
um, for to have opportunities like that, to be in the marketplace. Um, but to, to, to get back a little bit to about the overspending, right? And shifting that paradigm, we're talking about utilizing our money. That LLC is um, a $200 filing fee, right? And I think that's something people more people should know in, in the state of New York, in the state of Georgia, that, that can be $50. You know, other places it's it's somewhere in between. Um, so so we're talking about making that that paradigm shift um, and, and looking at businesses, looking at community, looking at the the longer scope uh, of things, right? So we talk about overspending again too in the short term during the holiday times. We talk about businesses that are also employing our black children, our black mothers, our families as well too, and they're changing the way that they have to work now too. The labor force. You mentioned this before, Vanessa, about just about how. Black businesses, they, they, they hire Black people and people in this community. So when we're talking about the holiday season, we're, we're spending more money, but we're also putting uh, uh, the labor the labor force at, at risk. Um, with They're working overtime, you know what I'm saying, with worse conditions. Many people have heard about um, Amazon, you know, the beloved store for many of us, but for the employee side, it, it isn't always necessarily the same. Um, and, and those are things to think about too. So when we're talking about making that paradigm shift, it's not just about... Um, making more money as an individual level, but it is about making that that bigger perspective. Like, yeah, I have a small business. I'm able to employ people, which they're able to take care of their family and make different different uh, differences. And I would hope that the people that I'm employing are not blowing their checks on on gifts, you know, that, that they truly think they can afford because of uh, subscription based planning. Um, and and I do encourage my, a lot of my employees if, to to look into becoming 1099 and looking to open up their own LLCs as well too to protect themselves and um, yeah, and, and provide more opportunities. So I wanna, I wanna stick more a little bit more on this right here, making that paradigm shift because there's some questions about that. There was another question about uh, uh, basically like uh, opportunities for professional services and not so much goods um, and other services like provided. So maybe you can touch on that. Um, I know one thing I would recommend is that if you look at people who get contracts awarded, those people you can reach out to, they're gonna need um, lawyers, they're gonna need accountants, um, and other things like that, professional services side. Um, but yeah, if you, you two could speak about basically like um, what you've seen as far as the consultant side um, with small businesses and the differences and struggles right now that they maybe shouldn't be afraid of and, or common fears that you may see when people are making that paradigm shift into becoming business owners. So this is, so I'll, I'll say a few things. I, I won't be able to do it justice because this is a really, really big and important question, right? Um, there, there are certain things that are constant no matter what the environment and what you're trying to do. And those are some, some really important frameworks, which is how you manage your resources is critical, right? Because we're less likely to get intergenerational wealth transfers. So what you have is what you have, and it's, and it's to what extent are you using it to its highest and best use, right? So it goes, for me, it goes back to the stewardship ownership legacy mindset. You know, I apply that, or we apply that to our household, but we also apply that to our business, right? Like, we, we our, our household is run as a business, right? Like, every, let me just go back to this notion of, of just fundamentals. I think fundamentals are so really important. <clears throat> I know, but... I know people don't like to talk about budgets, right? But let me just be super clear. I know they're not sexy. Vast majority of people are employees and they work for someone else. The fact that you are in that job, that you have benefits, that you are associated with an office, every single thing about you is on somebody's budget, right? 
I used to make those budgets. It's a multi-month process that is synced up and approved by an inordinate number of, of people to decide. If you are not on that budget, you are not there. Your healthcare, every single thing. It will be malpractice on, on a high level. It would cost companies trillions of dollars. Stock market would crash. People will be fired. There's no company that's going to operate without a budget. That's how super critical it is, right? The, the whole finance department is called finance and planning. And they're just coming up with a plan for their budget. So it's really finance and budgets. So if they have to have it, then we absolutely have to have it in, in our house, households to guide every single thing that we do because they are tracking to, to that. And we need to be able to have that so we can track to our goals. And that will dictate how much that we have to spend when it comes to Christmas time. And there won't be any overspending because the budget says you're going to spend a thousand bucks and that's it. And if you spend 1500, that means it comes out of something else that you're not going to be able to spend because you got to stay whole right at the end of the day. There's a framework that, that you have to have. Now, when you work that over time, that allows you to have positive cash flow which now can build up. That's the beginning step of, of wealth. And there's lots of, the first thing to do is obviously pay off your debt, and make sure you're taking advantage of the 401ks and other types of things that, that you have. Just the basics will transform your, your situation. It gives you more financial independence and it puts you in a better position to be able to either start a business of your own or invest in someone else's business. Super critical fundamentals. Now, when you have your business, you're going to do the same thing. Right. There's a lot of people who come into possession of lots of money. And let me tell you what happens. If your resources scale faster than your ability to handle it, you will be separated from those resources. The market works by asymmetric information. Right. You are perceived as a mark. You will be separated from it. We know a million examples of people who come into to money real quick. You have to scale your ability to handle it. That's actually what you do first, right? You invest in your ability to handle it. So when you get the, the, this wonderful blessing of the million dollar contracts or whatever it is that could potentially bankrupt you, your best, your greatest contract could bankrupt you, by the way, right? If you don't handle it properly, you know now how to deal with it in terms of how you plan and budget for your own business. And then what you do with the proceeds of that business, it all is very consistent with, with stewardship, ownership, and the legacy that you're trying to, to lead. And it's also very consistent with PhD because if we have a business, to what extent are we pulling other service providers into it, right? We, I, we have different types of lawyers, right? But we, we try our absolute best to make sure that our attorneys are black whenever possible and wherever possible, right? And, and when I'm working with corporations, I'm trying to direct traffic to them to black service providers because now they say they believe in all these kinds of things because it's stimulative for, for job creation. So we, we, we have to have these, these basics um, in, in place. If you overspend in Christmas, then your, your legacy is going to be a lot smaller. Your ability to start a business or even to weather the storm. right? A lot of people start the business while they're working. That's a great thing. Some people start cold turkey. That means you got six months to a year of resources. You do not start swinging for the fences, right? That's a form of an absolute disaster. The only way to get that is by hyper re retaining your earnings or by getting the money from someplace else, like intergenerational wealth transfer, or maybe you sell shares in your, in, in, in your business and kind of raise it through various levels of, of environment. 
but we, we have to have those fundamentals in place. And we always have to focus on, on the multiplier effect, right? Which is when possible, where possible, pull in the folks who are in business. So we lead, like, and I, don't, I apologize for getting kind of on a soapbox. Not enough black businesses do business with black enterprise. It, it cannot stop with your business, right? We can't direct resources to you and then you don't pull in black enterprise, right? So whenever possible, let's make sure like we're, we're utilizing um, uh, those, those people and that we have the resources uh, to be able to, to do so. And to your point, even partnerships, um, um, underestimating the point um, you were asking about professional service contracts, there are many of times where I will go in with another small consulting business for bigger contracts or several. Um, I operate my business as, um, you know, I hire other consultants under me for bigger projects. And there's a group of us and we really just share each other's, you know, community connections, especially when we're bidding on, you know, state contracts um, to be able to do those projects of scale. You need, you know, a big enough bench or I may have a specific project where I have one particular skill and I might need another skill. Um, and to Sean's point, we wanna make sure we're bringing in black businesses. Uh, and so for the professional services, if you think about government contracting, although as you heard Sean and I both, it's not a easy road. Think, the, think about the government runs everything. Schools, colleges, I mean, you know, universities. So there are tons of opportunities for professional services. And at this moment, there are some companies that are um, either for business reasons or uh, conscious reasons, intentionally trying to bring in more black businesses and consultants. Now is an opportunity to really, you know, get your business together so that you can take, take opportunity of this moment in time that we're in. I tell everybody, this is the moment where we ask for everything we want, demand the things that we need, but we do have to come together and support each other um, you know, with information, with opportunities, um, if, if multiple people can come together, it'll be better. And thinking about, um, as Sean talked about in my book, I talk about treating your household economy like a business because it is. Yeah. It is your own personal economy. And when a business in the middle of COVID, what happened to businesses? They cut back, right? Why wouldn't you do that? So if Christmas is coming and you don't have enough money in the bank, you know, if you were a business, you would understand that you have emotions involved and people depending on you and these, these uh, you know, cultures and rituals that you have, but there are multiple ways to do it. And I don't care where you came from as far as, you know, financially as a child, which is where we started this conversation. If you think about the best times that you've had, they did not always require things. It was the people that brought you joy and the experiences that you had with those people. Now I may have food, you know, I don't want to discount that kind of stuff, but thinking about those opportunities. And my last point, um, for people who want to do things, I always say that you, you always should be looking at multiple streams of income. I said in my last um, answer that everyone is not going to be self-employed, nor should they. Um, but there are employers, to Sean's point, where the, the benefits are phenomenal. I tell a story about my mom who never made a ton of money, but when she died, you know, she had life insurance because I sold it. She maximized, she worked for the city. So she maximized every benefit they had because I made sure, let's go see what they have. The union, everything. So when she died, we all got an inheritance. And I took that money and leveraged it to make more. 
But the multiple streams of income are always going to be your friend. When I worked for State Farm, I wanted to drive a Mercedes. So what did I do? I lived in Maryland. I owned a three-bedroom, two-bath townhouse. It was just me. I rented a room. That person, their rent, paid my car note. And fast forward, now I'm married with three kids. We had, uh, when Trump came into office, some of my contracting work got cut. So what did I do? And my friends who know me, I rented out one room in my basement and I was scared. I'm not even gonna lie because I was like, okay, you're about to do this. It has a separate interest, but I did Airbnb one room just on the weekends. And I made like a thousand dollars a month, just, you know, renting a, a space. So always having access to ways to bring in money. And someone asked the question about if you're an author and you're a speaker, do you consider yourself a small business owner? It depends, but most authors and speakers, those are supplemental. That's another line of income. And they may have other things like consulting. I mean, right now, you know, I'm also a landlord and, and Sean talking about, oh, I think it was Joel, sorry, about how you treat your employees. The two of the last four tenants that moved into our home and rented, they went and bought homes. So when people come to my property, I'm telling them this is a pit stop. I said, I will, I will put your rent on the credit report so that you can have a better credit when you leave here, start to save your money. So I put that in their mind as soon as they come to rent my place. So anybody who comes in your space should leave better. And obviously it's a black neighborhood, so it's mostly black people. So keep keeping that as a focus. So I know I said a lot, but thinking about multiple streams of income, uh, treating your household as an economy, so making the adjustments necessary when, when needed. If you have to pivot, a lot of people pivoted. If you have to downsize um, and your family is a part of the business. I talked to my children. I said, we got one pot of money and they try to play mommy and daddy against each other. They do. And so I got to tell them in the room, listen, it's one pot. So if you keep asking for these snacks every day after school, that means that we can't do X, Y, Z. Even for birthday parties, I told them at one point, I was like, listen, what do you guys, what is more important to you? Birthday parties or vacations? If you have these big birthday parties every year, we won't be able to go on as many vacations. So I started teaching them about choices and trade-offs at a very young age. And you, you talk about affordability. When I teach families with young children, using the word I can or cannot afford it may be true, but I wanna teach them values and choices. So we may be able to afford it. We may not, but regardless, it's one pot of money and every choice you make is gonna take away from something else. So leaving that, that thread through your life, starting with your children, partner, spouse, employees, partners, et cetera, um, are gonna make a difference in, in really leveraging the opportunities to advance and build wealth. So I wanna throw on one thing that you just mentioned multiple streams of income and, um, my phone is blowing up because people want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we spent some time on, on business and you said everybody's not going to go into business for themselves. Um, but, you know, if you, if you don't have an idea, what have you, um, I think we live in one of the most prolific times right now where um, you don't need a lot of money to start investing. You the spintech now and and um, allow you to continue to to invest over time and become wealthy. So, um, could you talk a little bit about that? You know, Acorn um, or Robinhood or other ways that one can get there, even up to the brokerages that they can um, invest over time and 
um, make a significant amount of money that is just another stream um, you know, uh, to help them meet their goals, retirement, home buying, otherwise. So I, I just wanna kind of jump in here because I'm, I'm a big super proponent of the fundamentals, right? Um, I find like people are like, you know, take me to level seven right now. You know what I mean? Like, let's go, right? Tell me about Bitcoin, like, let's get it popping, right? And I'm like, listen, hang on, hang on. Let's just revisit the fundamentals because the fundamentals are rock solid. That's your foundation that you can't be shaken because uh, people are, are projecting way out, but they sit on top of credit cards that they pay 36% for on an after-tax basis, which means that's above 50% negative return that, that you're paying on. And there's no investment is gonna give you that on a consistent basis, but you're paying that on a consistent basis. So you, your, your money should be allocated to getting rid of that, right, at, at all costs. And then you're thinking about how you're gonna go about doing it, right? Attack the smaller ones first, so you can have a sense of accomplishment that allows you to, to stay to say the course. Everything that you do, <clears throat> When you free up cash flow, you have to capture it and allocate it, right? I want people to listen very carefully. People go through these steps and what they do is save money in one area and reallocate it to another form of spending. And they operate as economic pastors. There's a ton of people with great titles and what would appear to be great incomes. They have no net worth. They're just economic pastors. You have to identify it, you have to capture it and reallocate it to stewardship, ownership and legacy and, and everything that, that, that we're doing. The, the second thing is, so we gotta get rid of those kind of high interest rate, you know, unsecured credit cards that, are, that everybody kind of has and, and is dealing with and struggling with, right? And that could take some time. It's no better investment than getting that off your balance sheet. That's burning a hole in your pocket. The, the second thing is people like, you know, I want to jump right into investing and I want to talk about these different brokerage accounts. When you put money into your 401k, you're investing, right? Because you might be buying a company stock or you might be picking from uh, various portfolios that they have access for you can allocate your money and all that kind of stuff. But you are investing. You are just doing it in a tax deferred way. Right. And by the way, with those companies, I think it's like up to 18,000 that you can put in on a tax deferred way. It might be a little different now with the updates in, 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 the, in the tax law, but you want to focus on that. And then, and then you have another 5,500 or so that you could put in on, on your IRA before that. So unless you're at your $27,000, get the benefit of putting it into a tax deferred you know, savings plan, like a 401k type. 80% of companies have them. There's three really powerful benefits to this before we start jumping right out, you know, in, into the pan. The first is the fact that you're putting away money that in and of itself is earning money through the vehicles which it's invested in in a tax deferred way. So you're putting in money. The second thing, it's very likely that the company is matching you. About 80% of companies also provide a match and on average that match is about 4%, right, of, of, of your salary before they kind of kind of tap out. So that's, that's money that, that you get uh, as well, right? Uh, the second thing is the money you save today that you're not paying in taxes is technically money that you have that you can actually reallocate into investing in that very thing also. So you're getting your money, you're getting the company's money, and then you're getting the government's money, right? And the company's money is free. The government money you get to keep as long as you keep it in there till like 59 and a half, right? Otherwise you pay a 
you know, a penalty and, and, and whatnot, right? So those things need to be focused on and, and doubled out. Most people, I think the average retirement savings for like a family in America is like five grand, right? It's not much. And if you need yeah, 50,000 a year in income and you want to replace that with investments, you earn 5% a year, you need like a million bucks, right? That's a long way away. So before we leapfrog into level seven, we got to make sure those bases are covered because people, we all exist along a continuum, right? Of wealth and income. Not everybody's at the same place. So depending on where you are in that continuum, it's gonna say where your priority should be at that, at that moment. There's some people with enough earnings power that they've already maxed out all that stuff, right? And they definitely need to be thinking about other things and need a higher level of, of uh, advice you know, and counsel, but now you're getting into rarefied air, right? The vast majority of people are nowhere close to that you can get all of the benefits associated with being in the market, just get the added benefit of doing it through your tax deferred uh, retirement savings plan, kind of like the, the most popular one that's known as the 401k structure um, and take advantage of that before we start going into, you know, all these, all these other, all these other vehicles. Yeah, I wanted to um, just add, con uh, con uh, continue that conversation. And I, I do agree. There's been a buzz about, um, you know, stock investing. And I am an advocate of that, of having, again, a balanced portfolio of stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, businesses, all of it. Um, but to your point, the presentation I did the other day, um, the Federal Reserve Bureau in 2018 said 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency expense. So that means that people don't have extra cash uh, savings, liquid cash to be able to invest, but it is sexy right now. And it's awesome that people are, but I think also people um, will get deterred by, um, by the complicate, how complicated it may be. So in agreement with Sean, I always tell people go get their free money first, which is that your employer, if you are employed right. and the vehicles he described that are at your employer, um, tax deferred, you can get it on your own. So for the small business owners who are out there, you have to take care of your own retirement. So you have to have your own IRA vehicles. And for parents, you can do similar setups for your children. Um, once you have you know, enough money saved, you wanna do a, use as many of these vehicles as possible to save on your tax taxes now, let it be tax deferred. Um, and these vehicles can help um, fund, you know, your retirement, obviously, but also if you wanted to do college savings, I always say you can borrow for college, you cannot borrow for retirement. So you always want to focus on retirement first if you have to choose. Um, but even the stocks for children, I think they're a great tool because there are studies that children who have savings tend to go to college. And I don't know the, you know, the makeup of the audience. So having these vehicles in place, even if you're not able to, to fund it, um, even if you're not able to overfund it or fund it a lot, it is a psychological um, aspect to having these accounts for your children set up, no matter how much they grow. But I, I agree with Sean and starting with your employer, um, maximize it to the match. Then you can come out to other vehicles 
So I do advise speaking to an expert who can tell you where to put the money in these vehicles. Now, yes, the, the gamut is large. So some people say, well, I don't have enough to even go to a Morgan Stanley or some of those places because they do have limits. But there are other investment uh, firms like an Edward Jones that will take smaller um, investment deposits as you grow, because we're hoping everybody can continue to grow. Um, but the planning and the strategy is important. But if you have extra money to play with, by all means, I, I am not discouraging anybody from using those apps like Acons and the like, because I think it teaches a lesson that you can in practicality. So you may not put all of your money there, but if you have extra money, um, again, you're not overburdened with debt, even though in my same um, presentation, I talked about the debt load that Brother Sean said, 44% um, of people have consumer debt and it's um, credit card is a huge part of it in addition to student loans and the likes. Um, but if you do have extra cash um, or cash flow, those apps, I think, teach, expand your mind. You know, I'm, I'm gonna teach a session tomorrow, Friday um, for children to start to, because I think it helps them become owners. Think of owning rather than being consumers. So we keep talking about shifting this mindset. So to me, those apps are almost like, um, school they're all almost like lessons so you may not dump hundreds of thousands of dollars in there or thousands of dollars but if someone can start putting in fifty dollars or five dollars to again cutting back some of the habits of you know buying the coffee or the t-shirts or the caps and and using these apps is to me an educational tool um to start owning some of these businesses i think it's a good a good idea and there is one that i don't have on the top of my mind that is geared toward black businesses in particular, if you wanted to invest in black owned businesses, um, there are some apps that, are, that have been released recently. So that's my take on it. Um, and I think it's great for kids too, you know, if they start getting allowances and helping them again, um, shift their mindset from being consumers to owners, that is one way to teach that lesson. Definitely. Thank you. Um, I want to just jump in real quick, too. And just like, like you, Vanessa, I also uh, leveraged my apartment for a few years, actually, and, and did Airbnb in a couple of different cities in the country. So I definitely understand that. And I think that's important. And I want to hop back on that, too, as you were saying, um, how everyone's not going to be a business owner. Right. But we all are in the marketplace and we all have to do something with our money and have strategies. Um, Sean's talking about the principles and the fundamentals. Um, and, and you, uh, Vanessa, were talking about choices and values, right? And I, I know one of the things that we're talking about a lot in our Black Men Talk series, um, that's the group that puts together these, this presentation, comes up with the questions. Uh, we talked a lot about um, our backgrounds and having religious backgrounds and if we're cultural people or spiritual people, um, how do we talk, teach our families about, how do we teach our children and our families about economy and family business? So how do, we, how, how do we start making them look at themselves as family businesses? How do we really kind of uh, look at that household economy? Um, and, and then if you guys can kind of tie that in also into a really started on, how does that relate to our taxes, especially around this time of year? How, how do we start thinking about more about taxes this time of year versus gifts and expenses? I love this question. Um, and in my book, I have a section called Courageous Conversations, and it talks about these family conversations that have to happen both up and down. So having these conversations with parents um, who are aging, um, if you're in that age bracket, or relatives, aunts, uncles, you know, auntie and uncle may not have had children, but they still need some um, financial planning. So expanding this conversation about money with family, and holidays are a great time. It's, oh, it's always awkward, but 
um, it is a great time to start talking about final wishes, um, estate planning, but even with your children um, starting young and people know my daughters, I had them start a, um, a cosmetic line. It was lotions and bath bombs. And I would, if I had a speaking event, I would go and get them a booth and they started learning about money and doing business. So when I say everybody's not going to be a business owner, I mean, you may work for an employer, but employee, but everyone's going to be an owner of, of entities. I'm going to say, and I want to make sure I'm clear on that. So, I mean, you may not start your own, be the CEO of this big company, but everyone should think of ownership. So it could be housing, home ownership, real estate, you know, the stocks and bonds at, you're going to be an owner. So I'm teaching my children now, but what ownership is, and if they have the ability to always create they don't, they don't have to worry about being employed. So they may want to, you know, work at a hospital. I don't know what they want to be, but I had them do this line and I taught them about, you know, what the investment costs because they, they started, I let them make the sales. And so they're counting the money and they think they're getting it all. And I'm like, wait, you know, we started, I had to, I had to rent the table. I had to buy the supplies. You all did the labor, right? And, but we have to reinvest to be able to do it again. And I never forget one of the talks I did at one of the conferences was about, it was for women and beauty and all this stuff. And so it was like going from red bottoms to black bottoms, you know, helping women think about um, being in the black, meaning, you know, they own more than they owe. And when my eight-year-old daughter, the next day, when they got their payment, we went out, my baby daughter was ready to spend all her money in one place. And my eight-year-old daughter said, no, Chloe, we got to go for the black bottoms. I was like, my job is done. So kids get it. And it's just a small business that they did, you know, on the weekends in the summertime, I actually had um, interns work for them. And I had the interns come to that same basement and make the products. So they got to see what being an employer, employer was from a very young age. And then they got to sell. And one daughter was like, well, if I sell more, do I get more money? I was like, yes, you do. And so start early. And like I said, even some of the basic conversations about budgeting and I, I started letting them now um, help me order the groceries. And, you know, when you buy a certain number of snacks, we're not ordering groceries until next Tuesday. And so let's think about what we're ordering, how much we need. And then let's think about how much we're consuming. So if we eat all the snacks today, you're not getting any more snacks the next Tuesday. So constantly having these conversations with children around these things and future projection. Um, you wanna to go to college, that costs money. You know, let's talk about what that means and when we go out and buy things on the fly. So for me, of course, because this is what I do, I, I love to talk about money and how it intertwines in our everyday lives. But exposing your children to ownership in multiple ways is gonna be key for their future. So they know they always have choices and they start to think like owners. It's gonna be important um, and they're never too young is, is my story. Yeah, we, we, um, that's awesome. I love it. You know, we, we do a similar thing. It's, it's baked into the conversation, right? Like I live it, right. I, I teach it, I write about it. Um, and, and it becomes part of the conversation, right? Like our kids have a business, right. And, um, and they do all of the men, they make, uh, Afro, um, Brazilian type pillows, right? And sell it to all kinds of different people. You know, my daughter learned it in an after school program. 
and she would bring stuff home and we'd be like, you made that, right? I mean, it was like, it was, it was, it was really awesome, high quality stuff. I don't, I don't gas them up unless it's really tight, right? So if you get a compliment out of me, it's, it's a real deal. And we were like, you know, and then people wanted to buy it at church, right? So we were like, all right, well, you, you know, the market's speaking, you should get ready. They do the manufacturing themselves, right? And then we kind of talk them through what it all means. And are you making stuff before somebody's asked for it? And what's inventory, which is cash sitting on the floor. And, and we go through all these kinds of things. Um, and we talk about margins and, and profit margin. And so they get a sense of it. And then I reinforce it when they have, you know, someone at school who doesn't treat them well. And I'm like, you want to work for that person? And they're like, nope, then, I, the, then you better get on top of these books and get your business going. Right. Otherwise, you know, you, you'll be living under their, their authority. And we certainly don't want that. You know, so it's, it's reinforcing those things. It's, it's obviously talking about, you know, going off to university and the like, but going off debt free. Right. That that, you know, you will be people pay for brawn. They'll pray for brains, develop both, get paid off of something. Right. You can triangulate to that path regardless. The outcome is the highest quality education at the lowest cost. Right. We, we don't this thing. I'm going to accomplish it at any cost is an absurd notion. Right. So and having them kind of laser, laser focused, you know, on that. So we, we, we do those kinds of that kind of work and have them think about what kind of careers they might be interested in. Right. Because that decision can can affect you, your lifetime earnings by two to four million dollars. Right, like this this idea of just kind of just choosing kind of whatever is not a good play. You know, our black people are hyper overrepresented in the ten lowest paying fields, right, across the the, the economy. Uh, that's locking in a life of struggle and strife. We we don't want that. You know, we don't we don't need that. You know, for our communities and our kids need to be aware of that. The other thing is we got to be careful not to bifurcate. Do this either or. I'm either an employee or I'm a business owner. The vast majority of business owners worked in industry. That's where they honed their craft and their skill set and build networks and the like, and then went off and just did it in the, in the private sector. You can do both, right? Uh, the, the biggest transformation over the last 30 years is what's known as the rise of the super manager, right? People at at that very high executive level, they get the vast majority of the compensation. You know, they make far more than the vast majority of all business owners, right? Unless you get into the high end. And then those people have the capital and wherewithal that they can invest in, in their networks, right? That's a great place to be. And that way you're covered either way. You can go down that path if you want, you have the capital base, or you can use that capital base to start your own business, increase the probability of success. Or you can aggregate that with your other people in your network and fund somebody else that's got the, you know, the talent and the skill set to do it. But you definitely want to make sure that the capital base is there. So when we're talking about kids, it's earn a lot early, right? If you go to all these kind of conversations, Warren Buffett, he's an outlier. I understand that we can't replicate outliers, but he was selling newspapers at ten up and down his street, right? You start with that entrepreneurial hustle. I can do this thing and kind of get paid for it. And then you just figure out how I can get paid more. And he decided that getting into stocks and you know insurance companies and whatnot could maximize his, his earnings. He had a lot of timing. But getting our kids interested in that is, is really important. You know, as they become teenagers, you can get them a credit card, right? And then make sure it's paid for them, right? So they build up a credit history. So by the time that they're 18, they already have like a 775 or even better when they're kind of starting out in, in life, right? They're, they have a superior 
um, you know, credit to, to give them like a great start and also some, some ideas around it. And in terms of, you know, multiple, um, you know, streams of, of cash flow, yeah, I mean, I, you know, absolutely, right? So you, you, you have, you know, obviously we, this consulting that, that we do, right? There's talks that we do, there's capital raising, right? That we do for, for, for black enterprise, right? You know, we, we find opportunities for people, we direct traffic, right? I, I, I will find opportunities for black people or black businesses to be within supply chains of company because I'm very focused on that, right? So that you, you can get paid in, in, in multiple different ways, but let me tell you what the most important thing is, is how you manage your money. Let me, let me just underscore this, right? Um, every dollar you save, I mean, if you're like a large business, about 85, 87% of that is going to your bottom line. For every incremental dollar that you earn, maybe only 7% of that is going to your bottom line because you got to have the, the, all the resources to procure it, to transform it, and to provide it, right? So the, every dollar you save is 11 times more than the dollars that you earn. That's why corporations specialize in cost down and they have a thousand different names for it, right? Downsizing, right sizing, offshoring, um, cost down, you know, all these kind of different things, they're reducing costs, right? And that's, that's the way that you generate, you know, higher margins and you have more cash and liquidity so you can absorb these kind of rocky, rocky times. You do that in your household and you do that um, in, in your business, right, um, as well. And then you encourage your kids and, and other people how to, how to replicate it themselves. <clears throat> well, listen, we are, we are running short on time. I don't know whether Vanessa had anything to say, um, but you have, a, you have a chance in a second. Um, but, but we want to just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for lending your time and talent tonight um, to, to just make us better. And um, I don't know of two other people that were best suited to do this, uh, this session than you guys. Um, so we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Um, send us your address and uh, we'll get something to you. But um, uh, also we wanna know, we wanna let people know how they can follow you, how they can um, support you and, and, and perhaps even continue to learn from you even after this session is over. So if you can, in one minute, uh, give your tags and give your information so that um, everyone on this, as well as those who are watching on Facebook Live, uh, and will we rewatch it uh, at a later time, can, how can they get in contact with you if we can do that quickly? You could um, find me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter as, using my name, Vanessa Lindley. The Facebook group I have is the Economic Resurrection, um, and it's Economic Resurrection, a new way of uh, doing economy, and it's, it's to promote and support Black ownership. And um, you can find my book, Achieve Financial Victory, Seven Ways to Win with Your Money on Amazon. And thank you all for having me. It's been such a pleasure. I could talk all night. It's been so great to talk with Sean. I am so glad they asked me to be with you. We could go all night. We got to do this again. <laughs> We will. We will. Absolutely. We will. Thank you, Vanessa. Sean? Uh, you, you guys can reach me on uh, LinkedIn as Sean Rochester, uh, on Facebook as Sean Rochester and the Black Tax. I'm still kind of old school on, on Facebook. 
Um, I'm also on, on our Instagram uh, as, as Sean Rochester or as, as Black Taxed. Um, you know, you guys can check out the, the Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. That's available, you know, on Amazon. Now I have it in ebook, paperback, as well as audiobook. You can check out CPR for the Soul, How to Give Yourself 20% Raise, Eliminate Your Debt, Leave Inheritance to Your Children's Children. Uh, that's also available in ebook, um, as well as on uh, paperback. And I'm currently producing the audiobook right now uh, with a brother with an amazing voice. That should be out hopefully first week of uh, December. You can check me out at www.blacktaxed. That's with ed, um, you know, com. And and please, you know, at the end of the day, when we leave the room, we should always be be doing business. So you know, business owners within uh, this group and other groups, we we need to be uh, specifically doing business and then directing traffic, right? So. Um, <clears throat> we don't talk enough about the great experiences that we have with our service providers. We have to have to have to do that, right? And then share that with other folks so that the uh, people who decide, hey, I wanna jump on top of that and do the very things that you guys are talking about, have a great service provider um, you know, that they can work with. Um, and if you have opportunities, then you make sure that Vanessa and her business are, is fully oversubscribed, right? This is what this is all about, because then it triggers hiring, and we're most likely to hire us. Uh, just say this final thing real quick: uh, that there's there's about 110,000 black businesses, about 4% out of 2.56 million. They employ about a million people. Our total spend affects about 22 million jobs in America and almost none of it is in our community, right? Like this is a really significant and big deal. Like doing business with each other matters, right? And elevating businesses that are doing a great job absolutely matters. Thank you so much. Uh, Joel, if you will uh, take us to our next session, please. Yes, um, thank you guys so much. I wanna give you guys a special thank you from the bottom of my heart, honestly, as a business owner, um, and, and I, I, I'm standing by everything you guys said. I took about five pages of notes. So y'all going to both see uh, two new book sales on your Amazon accounts in the morning. And so thank you so much. And um, I want to bring in now our esteemed brother, Dr. William Cooper <laughs> Basilis. Good evening. On the behalf of the New Omicron chapter of Omega Psi Phi fraternity, I just want to thank everyone for attending tonight's Black Men Talk session. This is our second successful session, and it is only due to uh, first, and, first and foremost giving honor to God, and then um, to all of the brothers of uh, New Omicron who are working so diligently to continue to connect with the community and ensure that especially during these times of racial hostility, that we are empowered with information that can help us to be financially free and financially powered to have a voice. Um, I also wanna thank everyone for celebrating Achievement Week with us. We are, the, Omega, the men of Omega Psi Fire are celebrating Achievement Week which is a mandated program of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity. And it was designed to promote the study of African-American life and history. And this, this dates back to the 1920s with brother Carter G. Woodson. So thank you um, to everyone being on this call tonight. I, I, I um, would be remiss if I did not thank my sister, 
uh, Vanessa Lindley, um, who I know uh, to be a, a true a true sister and uh, everything she said tonight, she is speaking from experience. Uh, she is not uh, speaking from theory. So as Joelle said, I will be uh, going out on Amazon and I will be uh, making sure I purchase uh, another copy of her book. And I also want to thank um, Brother Sean Rochester. He, he, he's, he's not a man of Omega, but he is still a, a, a man, I believe, of the uh, the black and the gold, and um, you know, and I have some best friends that are, that are brothers of the black and the gold. So, you know, he's a good guy, and I appreciate his words of wisdom tonight as well. And I will definitely be going on to Amazon to get his book as well. Um, man, just Joel, I think I got five pages of notes myself, man. Um, yeah, they, they, this was a, this was amazing, and I, I think that like um, y'all two need to be championing the community to be real. Because I mean, two y'all together, I could be here all night. Honestly, I would. I don't even mind. For real, I'll steal everything right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, this this is truly amazing, and we will be doing more of the Black Man Talk series. Um, um pitched around um finance and financial literacy, and we'd love to have y'all back for um further expansions. Um, so thank you again. Um, with that being said, and if that's okay, Brother Boss, I want to invite in uh, Brother Damone Jones to just uh, close out for the night in prayer. One more thing. Joel and James, you guys did an awesome job tonight. Thank you, Brother Boss. All right. Um, Brother Jones, if you would be so kind to close out in prayer tonight. Will do. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Joel, Brother Chavis. Uh, this was amazing. I have a ton of notes myself. I'll also be purchasing the book. So thank you for this wonderful, wonderful uh, session and uh, looking forward to many more. All hearts and minds clear. If we can bow uh, our heads and, and go before the throne of Christ. Eternal God, our Father, the giver of every good and perfect gift, we honor you tonight, the supreme bosses of the universe. We honor you for this moment that you've ordained and destined for this moment for these, your people. Lord God, I honor you for Vanessa and for Sean, for the wisdom that they've imparted in us, God. We ask now for the wisdom, the wisdom to go out and implement everything that we've been taught tonight on the call. We thank you even now, God, for living debt-free lives. And that was the purpose of this evening, to show us how to be good stewards over those things that you've given us. And so God, we're so grateful for the wisdom that you've imparted. Thank you for the gifts. And Father, we ask now that you, Refill their cup of everything they've given us tonight. And God, we pray over a hedge of protection over them and over everyone under the sound of my voice, Father. Restore those things that have maybe been lost, whether it's finances, whether it's mental uh, illness, whether it's stability of health, whatever it is, God, we're asking that you restore those things this evening in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask now, God, that you cover these households in this time of a pandemic, Father. Show us how to be good stewards over our health. Show us how to be good stewards over our finances and those things that are needed to progress forward to carry out your will. We honor you, we thank you, and we love you. And these blessings we all ask in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, we all say amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. God bless you. And we'll see you next time on the Black Men Talk series. <laughs> thank good you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you guys, good night. Good job, brothers. Good job, man.
have church online, YouTube, Facebook, wherever, however you want. Joel, can you set up a recap for us? Yes. It doesn't have to be now. It could be just whenever, whenever you think it's good. Brother Boss is all right with it. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. Okay. Trying to do it tonight? Come on, right now, right? It's a, we, could, we could do it right now. We're not going to spend long on it, though. Yeah. All right. Give me uh, two seconds. I'll set up right here. Perfect, sir. Great job, Joel. Thank you.